The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollas, and you are listening to Pa to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you. Whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Top of the weekend to you all. Thanks for joining me this Friday to sip some coffee and talk dance. This week has been calmer than many of my more recent ones, which has actually been quite the relief. I actually got to stay home for a few days in the middle of the week, which practically never happens at this point. It felt good to sleep in well past my 6.30 wake-up call when I have to take the bus up to New York City. Um... And also just to, you know, sleep in my own bed and sort of do things as I wish. I can go home in the middle of the day if I go to work out or anything like that. So, I know that sounds weird, but that's the life. (laughs) Alright, a quick rundown of my teaching schedule if you want to join me for any classes. Beside my regular advanced beginner ballet classes at Broadway Dance Center on Fridays at 6pm, I'll also be teaching... Intermediate Contemporary at 11.30 a.m. on Fridays and Advanced Intermediate Contemporary at 3.30 p.m. on Sundays for the next two weeks at Steps on Broadway. I'll also be teaching Basic Ballet for the next two weeks on Sundays at Broadway Dance Center at 6 p.m. Um... Also, in the month of June, I just picked up a bunch of inter- advanced intermediate ballet classes at Steps on Broadway at 2.30 p.m. Most of them are Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays in June through the 23rd. So, if you want to see what's happening, you can check out the schedules on at, at broadwaydancecenter.com or at Steps uh, on Broadway's website. So... You can check it out there, uh, or just stay tuned to this podcast uh, to hear when I'm teaching again, because I know a lot of people like to visit New York during the summer when they're on layoff or when they have a vacation or anything like that. Um, And also, as always, just remember, if you're a podcast listener, please come up to me and say hey and tell me that you're a listener. I love to meet you guys. Now, let's get to the meat of this week's chat. Today, I want to discuss a topic that is prominent not only in the dance world, but also in secondary education, sports, and other activities like that. Um, I don't know if this is prevalent only in the United States, as I haven't really discussed this outside of... uh, our national community, our national dance community. But I have had this—I've had this conversation with a few friends that work in fields inside and outside of dance. It seems today that many people feel that they deserve the rewards of activities purely because they showed up, put in a little bit of effort, and they paid money into the tuition of that—that uh, that experience. This is obviously a generalization, so don't get too riled up about it. But many of us struggle with dealing with students, and by many of us, I mean many of us instructors, teachers, educators, etc. We struggle with dealing with students and parents who feel that they are owed something just because they have paid to partake in something. Is this fair? (laughs) Do you deserve a trophy just because you showed up, or just because you paid to show up or not show up? 
<laughs> Let's chat and see if there's an answer to this. The best example I can give of this idea actually happened, uh, it happens outside of dance every day, week, month, and year. Uh, back in my days when I was taking English composition courses at Seattle Central Community College to fulfill a required uh, require to fulfill requirements that I had to to get my my degree. I encountered a handful of students who had not yet fully grasped the English language. Since many of the courses I took were online, in order to have interaction with my classmates, there were message boards and peer review assignments that were required work for the class. I don't know if any of you have ever taken online courses, but if you don't have these message boards, you're kind of just on your own trying to motivate yourself. Um, and if you have any questions, you're asking the teacher. So a lot of these online courses, what they do is they have these forums and these message boards where you can interact, but they're also... Uh, assignments that you have to do that actually force you to interact with your peers. Uh, from working on these message boards, I quickly learned that there was a, a huge ESL. If you don't know what ESL is, it's English as a second language, people that didn't originally speak English. Um, but there was a, a huge ESL contingent in the class. Being English Composition 101 and 102, uh, there was obviously a great deal of writing work that took place throughout the course. I mean, all we really did was learn how to put together a proper uh, paper, how to use our words effectively um, to really get information out there or to cater to an audience. There were there were a handful of different things that we had to do uh, to speak eloquently through through writing, all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, obviously it helped me. I've been running a, a popular blog for the last five years, so I'm really grateful that I, I took these courses. But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, so, uh, English Composition 101 and 102, a lot, of, a lot of writing for these courses. When it came time for me uh, to do peer reviews that we were required to do on these message boards, my first few classmates, uh, two of them had written assignments in extremely broken English. While, while I appreciated their effort and understood that it was likely much more challenging for them to complete the assignment than it was for me and my English, naturally speaking English self, there was no way that they would be able to accurately and appropriately complete the array of assignments given at a passable standard for an English course. Um, I mean, the way that I saw it, I thought that we would all be held to the same standards, but uh, it doesn't seem like that was necessarily how, necessarily how it worked. Uh, being that we were in an English comp class and these students weren't able to construct simple sentences properly, how could they pass this course? I know that a few of them did because the next semester, when I went from English Comp 101 to English Comp 102, I saw a few of the same students in, in my 102 class. My assumption is that these students were either held to that different standard I was just talking about, or they were just given a pass into the next class because the college wanted to continue raking in the dough that university students have to pay to obtain their degree. It seems to me that the school was more concerned that they would lose the students' tuition if they held them to an equal high standard. If they really pressured the students to master the material in the same way a student who spoke English as their first language did, it would likely cause many students to fail, and this would either force them to retake the course for full understanding of the material, or it might actually cause them to drop out of the program or transfer to another college that would lower their standards and allow them to pass the course. 
So instead, they pass them and allow them to continue on with little grasp of the material. I see the same situation happen all the time in our beautiful, wonderful, fantastic dance world. <laughs> Tuition-scared schools often let students slip through the cracks of their dance education because they're afraid that students will take their tuition elsewhere or that they'll just stop dancing altogether if the, the schools rock the boat too much or hold students to uh, extremely high standards and expectations. If a student misses multiple classes, should they be moved up to the next level with their friends, even though they may be risking injury, and could later find out that they are miss or that they miss valuable information in their training? Does a student deserve to dance a leading role or a featured role just because their mom or dad paid tuition? I wish the answers to these questions were clear, but more often than not, schools run themselves from the business end of things before they focus on quality, accountability, and sometimes safety. I'm not trying to knock these schools, as a school can't really run if it doesn't have funding. I mean, that's the, that's the honest truth. But how should it be communicated to let parents understand that your business has expectations that need to be met, even though they are footing the bill? And it's really not, uh, it's, it's, it's reciprocal, it goes back and forth. If you hold students to high expectations, then the quality uh, of the school improves. Um, if you let a lot of students pass, then the quality of the, the school, it gets worse. But also, if you can't pay your bills, you can't keep the school running. So it's finding a good balance between the two. Yes, when we are paying into something, we most often want to see the benefits and value of what we put our money into, especially in tangible ways. If you pay $60,000 for your kid to attend a university, you want to see a diploma. If you spend $150 to take a pottery class, you want to go home with a piece of pottery. <laughs> and I get that. Dance training is expensive. It's extremely expensive, especially if you are training in ballet and uh, you're female and you start wearing point shoes. It can become exorbitantly expensive. Why oh, pull, pulled out two <laughs> X words exorbitantly? That's a big fancy one. Proud of myself for that. <laughs> Anyway, so this more often than not translates into expectations of seeing a kid perform nice roles on a stage and to progress from level to level each year, no matter the case, because there aren't always tangible items like a trophy uh, that that you hand a kid. But also, I mean, that's another that's another conversation. Um, many schools will let a student who has fallen behind stay with their group as they move forward because they're afraid of hurting the dancer's feelings or upsetting the parents enough, again, that they may pull their kid out of their school. But this teaches nothing, and the parents are essentially paying for schools to patronize their kids, to offer them a false positive experience, or even worse, give them a false reality of their possibilities to actually achieve a career. And I, I know that some people are just putting their kids into school for fun, or into dance schools for fun, but many of the kids go into it thinking that this is a possible future and they get patronized and they get pushed forward and they have major holes in their training and if they actually do get as far as wanting to have a career many of them don't have the tools to have it and it's too late because dance gets harder to learn the older you get it's very much like language i always said if you start training in ballet at the age of five uh you will be able to speak the language fluently, but if you see many adults that start ballet uh, after their teenage years for the first time, they'll always have an accent. Um, they'll always have 
issues with certain things in their in their their dancing, whether it be turnout or ability to maintain releve or posture, things like that. Um, so yeah, you don't want to give these kids a false sense of reality that they can have a career uh, because they keep on progressing and they feel like they're doing well. The challenge here is to somehow teach parents that the rewards of dance training most often come in intangible ways. And they don't always feel good. Even though they are rewards in the long run, in the, the short run, they might not feel like rewards. <laughs> so just keep that in mind as I read uh, a few of these off. These qualities include learning the values of discipline, learning the ability to work through challenging physical and emotional situations. I mean, life can be hard. Uh, careers can be hard, even if they aren't dance-related. And, and that's very valuable. Um, another quality, or a few more qualities, learning how to cope with not always getting your way, even when you put in all of the necessary effort, learning how to perform under stress, learning spatial awareness, learning how to communicate effectively, both verbally and non-verbally within a community, small or large, dedication, uh, analysis, and... Uh, problem solving, and so much more. I could, I could go on longer and longer, but I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I feel like my point has been made. True dance training offers life lessons and tools to cope with the best, worst, and most challenging of what life has to hand to you. If Johnny didn't get moved forward to the next level with all of his friends, maybe he needed some extra time to protect his body and make sure he was properly prepared to have a career. If Susie didn't get to play Clara in The Nutcracker, maybe she will learn that you actually have to have solid attendance and a stellar work ethic in order to succeed, or that you can't always get what you want. And the secret here is that dance, even if you do all of the above, you don't necessarily deserve anything, <laughs> like I was just saying. But if you, if you want to hear more about that, you'll have to check out my Ultimate Sacrifice episode that I posted a few weeks ago. It might even be a month or two ago, um, so you'll have to go back there. So what this comes down to is that there is great value in dance training that does not come in the form of trophies, in the form of casting, um, or even progress into the next level of training. Just because you paid for 30 classes and your Susie missed 10 of them, should she reap the same rewards of performing that Sally gets for only missing one class? Don't you love these names? I just pick names. <laughs> In my opinion, no. Uh, just because Stevie is older than Jimmy, and he has been in a school for three years, does he deserve to move ahead of the much younger Jimmy who has mastered the syllabus of the same level just because he's older and more senior? If I can help families sit back and trust the process of dance training to allow schools and teachers to do their jobs, I feel like I have done my job. I'm not here to judge, but I ask at what point does a dancer deserve rewards because their parents put equity into the training versus as a result of their effort, respect, learning, mastery, <laughs> understanding, and accountability. Please, do let me know your thoughts on this matter, as I'm quite curious to see what others think after listening uh, to my pondering on here this week. I know that there are many different perspectives, and uh, I, I'm sure that there will be parents that say, well, we just want our kids to have a fun experience, um, or wow, we didn't even know that this was how things worked, or wow, you really put this into perspective. I'm just really curious to hear what other people think about this. Um, I'd even love to hear what other schools and instructors uh, think about it. So, 
go ahead and reach out to me on my website, which you will hear in the outro that is coming up right now. (laughs) Thanks again, as always, for listening to me talk dance. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the premierdancenetwork.com. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of Freelance Dancer, where I have been writing about working as a freelance artist for over five years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollis, featuring my choreography, and Choreography, that's Choreography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod the Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk, dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.